Jin Yu. How's everybody this morning? Good, good. Well, let's get right into part three of overcoming today. Um, we've talked about what it is to overcome, what that means, and, and when we close this out in a couple of weeks, we'll, we'll come and back around and kind of revisit some of that. But uh, we've talked about uh, fear of our, our fear of uh, overcoming fear. I'll get it out in just a minute. Um, and then today we're going to actually be looking at overcoming failure. Um, you know, and overcoming means to get the better of, to succeed in dealing with a problem or a difficulty. Uh, I was looking at some articles of the last, I don't know, month or two as I was preparing for this series, and one of them by Incorporated Magazine says this, that research indicates that our fear of failure tops the list of our phobias. 31% of Americans deal with this. Um, and it's actually ahead of our fear of public speaking or our fear of spiders. Anybody scared of spiders in the room? Good, yeah, there we go. There we go. How, many, how many of you are scared of snakes? I feel your pain. I'm there, I'm there. Fighters, spiders don't bother me unless they just fall on me accidentally or something like that. Uh, and then I have been known to dance. So um, it's ugly, but I, I will do it. Um, but fear of failure is, is the big one. It's the big one. Uh, nearly half, 49% admitted that fear of failure was the biggest roadblock to either not achieving their goals at all or discourage them from revisiting their goals. So the fear of failure, how do we, how do we get to that? How do we overcome it? Uh, Entrepreneur Magazine has, has a, um, they actually listed three types of failures. I want to kind of hit them quickly and then we'll get into the body of what we're talking about today. But uh, they list three types of failures. Preventable failures. Preventable failures are the failures that should have been seen, uh, but they just weren't for some reason. Um, unavoidable failures. Complex set of factors usually beyond our control. Um, the lesson from this type of failure, though, is to create systems or try to spot small failures running from complex factors and take action before it snowballs and destroys a company or organization or whatever. But there are those things that are unavoidable. Uh, one of the things that's interesting to me is I've, I'm, as the research is now starting to surface uh, from the pandemic, uh, we've, we have literally seen thousands and thousands of businesses that have closed. Uh, and I mean, it's, you know, you couldn't do anything about it. There's nothing you could have done. Churches, thousands and thousands of churches have closed and are closing. I'd read an article just last week that we are closing, um, I think it's 1,500 churches a month in America that are just shutting down, shutting down. And uh, another, another stat that's very interesting too is that I think the statistic now is 2,000 pastors a month are leaving the ministry. Uh, and a lot of it is connected to everything that happened over the last couple of years. But, uh, you know, 1,500 churches a month is a lot of churches to shut down. And we're not, we're not keeping pace in, in, um, in bringing new churches on and planting new churches. Uh, now, I don't know that they've actually checked this area for that. But there is, I mean, you go, you go up to Crestview there on the, the hill turning into Walmart. And on Saturday afternoon, there's like 35 church signs stuck on that right below the Econo Lodge right there. Uh, so there's a lot of churches that are being planted around this area. Used to, there was one or two or three in D Destin. Now you go down the Emerald Coast Parkway and there's one in every strip mall in Destin. So, but across the board, that's kind of the statistic that's happening. Uh, so, you know, there's some things that just happen that you just, you know, it's unavoidable. And then the third type of failure is an intelligent failure. <laughs> interesting, interesting phrase. 
An intelligent failure. These are, and, and it said, the article said, these are the best kind. Yay. <laughs> Yay. The best kind of failure. An intelligent failure. They happen fast. They don't consume too many resources, but it, it provides the most helpful and most useful information for the least cost. Uh, and it's, it's basically what it is. And, and when I read through the article, I went, okay, that makes sense. This is the trial and error approach. You go into it with kind of an attitude of, okay, we're going to try this. Uh, if it doesn't work, you know, and this is the way some businesses conduct experiments to find a product or business model that works. And the, the lesson's clear with intelligent failures. If something works, do more of it. If it doesn't, do something else. That makes sense, right? If it didn't work, regroup, try something else. Um, so that's kind of the, the backstory of failures, the types of failures that we can face in our life. So let's talk about Peter today. Probably one of the most prolific failures in scripture is, is Peter. Uh, but as I, as I thought about this, getting ready for today, you know, most, most of the biblical characters, the guys that are prominent in scripture, every one of them, every one of them had failure after failure after failure. Uh, the guys that didn't, uh, one guy in the Old Testament, his name, he said he was not for God took him. I mean, he was so good and so perfect that God just said, yeah, come on up here with us. Uh, but for the most part, every, every major player in scripture had failure after failure after failure. Oh, but Abraham's a great, great, Abraham was a friend of God. He was a friend of God, but he lied about his wife on multiple occasions, you know, to save his own skin. She tell them you're my sister, you know, which technically wasn't a lie. You know, they did things very different back in those days than we do with them today, but still, you know, but he still lied to save his own hide. And so we see that over and over and over. But Peter is probably the guy that most of us kind of relate to more than anybody else because, and I'm just going to use three of Peter's deal uh, of the failings in Peter's life. Uh, the first one is if Peter is actually, uh, when God, when Jesus called him to be a disciple, he's fishing. And so Jesus said, hey, put your nets on the other side. And, he, and Peter starts to argue with Jesus. We've done this all night long. I fished my whole life. Don't tell me how to fish. We fished over there already. Now, are you understanding what I'm telling you this morning? Peter is arguing, arguing about how to fish with the man who created fish. I mean, Jesus is like the guy that brought fish into existence. He was there. He was, he was a part of the triumph. When they talked about, we put the fish in the ocean. We put the fish in the sea. We put the fish in the Sea of Galilee. I know where they are, Peter. I'm telling you, on the other side of your boat, you'll catch some fish. And Peter's going, we did that all night. All right, so that, that's kind of a failure. When you argue with God at that level, you know, there's a problem. The second time is, is you know, or the third time is actually, uh, no, the second time is when he's in a boat. It's a storm. And... Jesus comes walking on the water and he said, hey, I want to come to you, Jesus. He gets out of the boat. He starts walking on the water and all of a sudden he gets his eyes off of Jesus and he sinks. Classic epic failure. And then he has to cry, Lord, save me. And Jesus does. And, and, but he doesn't even consider that he walked back to the boat on top of the water. You know? But he failed there in that instant. And then the third one is the biggie. You know, he denies Jesus three times. Just flat. And, and one... one, one uh, one of the passages talks about the cursing that he used. He was frustrated the first time. He was frustrated the second time. The third time, he just, he just dog-cussed the girl, you know, and thought, I don't know that man. And 
So, you know, that's a failure. That's probably the biggest in Peter's life. He denied that he knew Jesus three times. What about David? Was David a failure at, t- at times in his life? Sure. I mean, if you consider adultery, murder, uh, a failure in a lifestyle and character, yes, probably so. But that was David. That was the way he did it. The thing I want, to, want you to understand as we, as we get into this today is, first and foremost, failure is inevitable. If you live in this life long enough there, and, and you do things, there's going to be times in your life when you fail. There are times we fail every day spiritually, okay? We do. But even in the business world and in, in ventures and goals and things like that that we set, sometimes we fail. It's inevitable. It's not a signal to give up. It's not a signal to stop doing what you're doing or stop trying. But failure is an opportunity. Now, it's an opportunity that has a different outfit on. You know, we look at opportunities that look nice and go, hey, that would be great. That would be a great thing to do. But a lot of times, failure, we don't recognize failure in, in, in that as, as, as an opportunity. But it really is. Opportunity, it's an opportunity um, to learn. It's an opportunity for analysis. It's an opportunity to correct mistakes that we've made in other ventures. So how do we overcome a failure or the fear of failure in our life? Well, the first thing you got to do is recognize that overcoming a failure takes self-awareness. It takes self-awareness. You got to know who you are and you got to know what's going on and you got to understand what's happening because the first step to overcoming it is you got to own it. You have to own it. David in Psalm 51 talking about the, the adultery thing and the ultimate murder of Uriah the Hittite, Bathsheba, and he, she, he killed her husband and all this kind of stuff. He talks about God's unfailing love and his great compassion, blot out my transgression, wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. But then he says this, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. He said, well, are you talking about sin or are you talking about failure? I'm talking about both. In David's case, he's talking specifically about sin, but there's also a, a greater thing. Well, I don't know if there's going to be greater than sin, but there's a bigger picture that you've got to recognize here. He is the king of Israel. He is the one that sets the example for Israel. He is the one that paves the way. He's the one, all this kind of stuff. And here he is, he's, he's having, having an adulterous affair with a woman and he kills her husband in the, because the math is not going to work when he finds out that she's pregnant. This is the leader. So it's an epic failure on David's part. Not just, not just a, a moral failure, but a political failure, a, a failure of character. You name it, and it's there. But David is so aware of what he did when the prophet comes to him and says, you're the man. He goes, wait a minute. I'm going to own this. My sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight. He, he literally looks to God and says, I got this. I'm owning this. This is on me. This is on me. I'm not blaming it on the woman that was naked on her house the next, that next door, you know, or the fact that her husband, when I brought him back, wouldn't go to his house and sleep. I'm simply saying, this is me. I did it. Okay? The second thing we got to do is stay away from the blame game. If you want to overcome failure and overcome the fear of failure, you got to stay away from blaming somebody else for your failures. Yeah, but if the pandemic hadn't happened, look, I'm telling you, it's unavoidable at times, but as sooner or later, you got to go, I got to own this. I got to own this. This is what's happening. This is, this is all on me, and I can't blame it on anybody else. Adam, Adam in the garden, what did he do? And God said, the woman you gave me. I mean, like, God, you did this, but she did too. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. But God kind of says this. Here's the deal. And we look at it in the New Testament, we hear this. You know, 
Eve is not even to blame for the situation because she was deceived. Adam made a choice. Adam made a choice. But yet, he's still going, the woman. You know? And, but if it just said she did it, but he, he actually blamed Eve and God. The woman you gave me. I think we'll just move on from that one. <laughs> Number three. If you're, if you're going to overcome, you've got to stay away from the blame game. Number two, you've got to learn the lessons. You've got to learn the lessons. It's interesting to me at, at this stage in my life that I've, I've, I've learned this and I, and I recognize this and I actually embrace this, that we learn more in our losses than we ever do in our wins. We learn more in our losses than we ever do in our wins. We never, you, don't, you don't gain a whole lot with your wins. I use the Atlanta Braves as an example this week. They won the World Series and let Freddie Freeman get away. I've lost sleep over that. But it's an example. You win the World Series and you give away. You just don't sign the most valuable player. It's been in your organization for a dozen years, 300, you know, 30-something home runs, all this kind of stuff. You don't even make a, de a decent effort. And when he signed, he signed cheaper for somebody else than he would have signed with Atlanta. I mean, anyway. I'm just saying. I'm venting a little bit. I feel much better now. I got it out, so it's all good. <laughs> It's all good. It's all good. I hear there's some, I feel like there's some agreement in the house. I feel it. I feel it. <clears throat> but we learn that you have to learn the lessons. Okay? If we don't learn the lessons, then guess what we do? We repeat them. We repeat them. But if you learn the lessons, look at, look at, once again, we talked about the opportunity in failings and in failures. Look at, learn the lessons. Use it as an opportunity for analysis. What actually went wrong here? I have talked to some churches, some, some leaders of some churches in the country that, that have literally had to merge with other churches or shut down altogether because we weren't ready for the pandemic. And by ready, they hadn't moved technologically to a place that they could stream their services. And so literally after, some of them still haven't gone back into in-person, most have, but a lot of places, it was a year and a half before they actually go back to in-person, and they weren't ready, and so their congregation just dissipated. You know, what do you do next time? Do you not start? Yeah, you can start, but you've got to, you've got to pay attention to these things, and you've got to look forward. We learn in our losses. Craig Rochelle, pastor of the second largest church in America, says this, failure is not optional, it's mandatory. And it is. If we want to learn, if we want to grow in life, then we have to recognize that failures come. And we learn from those things and we use them for an opportunity for analysis and we move forward. The fourth thing to overcoming failures or failings is to remember the promises. Remember the promises of God. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That's a promise that God has for us. God wants you successful. He wants you to have hope. He wants you to be looking to a future of prosperity. He wants those kind of things there. I'm not talking about a million dollars in your bank account because you sow a seed of, a, of $150 or $200 to some telemarketer or some televangelist. 
What I'm saying is that God has a plan for your life. He has interwoven into your life a specific DNA that brings success to you. We have to remember that and understand that and walk faithfully before him. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, and 9. We have this treasure in jars of clay. This treasure that shows his all-surpassing power that is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. It doesn't matter how many times that you have tried something and failed. Remember, you've been knocked down, but God says, because you're my kid, you're not destroyed, and I've got a plan for your life. Don't stop. Don't quit. Get up. Brush yourself off and try again. Which brings me to point number five. Don't quit. Don't quit. What if these people had let their failure stop them? Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team. Walt Disney was fired from his job at a newspaper because they said he lacked imagination. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Steven Spielberg was rejected from... Film school three times. No, we can't use you, dude. Three times. John Grisham's first book, A Time to Kill, was rejected 28 times. I wonder what the publisher thinks now. <laughs> Albert Einstein had the label, Oh, Albert's mentally slow. Yeah, that was put on his permanent school record. Henry Ford's first two automobiles companies failed. Oprah, Oprah Winfrey was fired from an early job as a television news anchor. Jerry Seinfeld was booed off the stage at his first stand-up comedy appearance. Elvis Presley, let me remember Elvis, was fired from the Grand Ole Opry and was told to go back to truck driving. And probably one of the most that I, that I really appreciate, Colonel, Colonel Harlan Sanders. <laughs> KFC. He was rejected over 1,000 times before he found a franchise partner. The guy that said yes, doing pretty good now. Doing pretty good now. What would have happened? I mean, think about it. Think about it. Don't quit. The only way to ensure that you never fail, though, is to never try. You don't want to fail, don't try. But the real deal is we've got to keep trying. Don't quit. Number six, failure is an event, not a person. A failure is an event. It is never a person. When we have a failing in our life or a failure in our life, it doesn't define us unless we choose to let it. It doesn't define us unless we choose to let it. If you quit, it will define you. And then finally, regardless of your failure, God has a plan. David, we talked about him in the early stages. It was through the lineage of David that Jesus Christ came. That the, the, all, the, all the money and all the material to build the temple, David did that post-scandal. Post he raised all the funds he himself made the largest financial donation to Solomon's temple. Millions. I think I, think I read something the other day. I believe, I believe that David's, David's donation alone would be equivalent to 50-something million dollars today that David gave just to see the temple built. 
by his son. But it's the most important contribution that David has in his life that even with all of his failings, God still chose his lineage to bring the Messiah into the world. And then let's talk about Peter. Argued with the creator of the fish, took his eyes off Jesus and sank like a rock, denied that he even knew Jesus with cursing three times. This is the same guy that Jesus looked at before the failing, the big one, and said, you're Peter, and upon this rock, I'll build my church. And then something happens to Peter post-ascension. And when the, when the power of Pentecost fell on the first day of Pentecost, he was in the upper room there, and people are accusing him all of being drunk and everything else. And Peter steps out on the porch, and he preaches a message that you can read through in less than five minutes. And... In verse 41 of Acts 2, it says, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. What did Jesus do? Jesus used Peter to usher in the New Testament church. And I don't know about you, but I, just as a pastor, Luke, as a pastor, I would like to preach one, one five-minute message and 3,000 people join this church. <laughs> that would be a good day. That would be a good day. A pretty good turnaround. Peter's also, and I, and I know the contribution on, on the day of Pentecost was huge, but for every one of us in this room that are not Jewish people, Peter's greatest contribution is he's the reason we're in. Because he has this vision of this sheet and all this kind of stuff. By the way, he's also the reason we can eat pork. You know? Because he said yes to God, and then he went to Cornelius' house and preached the gospel, and Gentiles were brought into the kingdom. He opened the door and paved the way for you and I, who are non-Jewish individuals, to be a part of the body of Christ. Yeah. Peter, a failure? No, he had failings. He had failings. But in John 21... And this is, where, this is where we're going to close this whole deal today. Jesus takes the time to personally restore Peter back in right relationship with him. Peter had gone back to fishing after Jesus had died. Everything. Another, another failing. He left his calling behind. But yet, he went. Jesus saw him on the shore. Peter swam, got out of the water, and Jesus literally restored him right there. He reminded him of his greatest failure. He had a, that's the only second time in Scripture where we see a charcoal fire. The first time is when Peter denied Jesus. The second time is when Jesus restored Peter. And he said, Peter, I need you to do some stuff. He asked him three times, do you love me? Then feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And Peter did. And Peter did. I carry in my briefcase, um, Kim and I have been over to Israel a few times. We've taken a number of you with us. And every time we stop, and, and I love all of the sites, I do, but the one that is most important to me, I guess, and the thing that, that moves me more than anything else in there is the site and the area around the area where this particular event in John 21 took place. And every time I go there, uh, I wade out in the water just a little bit, and I dig around in the sand, and I, and I find a little rock, and I'll bring two or three of them home with me. 
And, uh, but I always, I've got two more of these at home, but this one stays in my briefcase. And every time I open my briefcase, I see it in there. And it reminds me that none of us are beyond moving past our failures. There's just a little rock from the Sea of Galilee. You say, well, is it a real, is it the real place? I, I don't know. I wasn't there. Um, that was a joke. Anyway, <laughs> But I wasn't. But I will tell you this. I've been all the way around that thing a few times, and I can tell you the one place, and it's believed to be an authentic site, and it's about the only place on that side of the lake that that type of event could have happened because there's, no, there's no, nothing growing out in the lake. It's actually a little open area, beachy area there. where It wasn't man-made. It's natural. So it probably is the place where Jesus built a fire that day and cooked some fish, and when Peter got to the shore, he ate, had a meal with Jesus. So they all did. But specifically, Peter was addressed in that whole scenario. And I carry this rock in my briefcase to remind me that no matter how many times I fail, and I have and I do, that forgiveness and restoration is the order of the day for our Savior, Jesus Christ. And what Jesus did for Peter that day, he is still doing for you and I as often as we need it. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Jesus restored Peter in John 21 and he wants to restore you today March 20, 2022 but you got to recognize your need you got to recognize and know that beyond the shadow of a doubt can't blame anybody else you have to own it you got to learn the lessons in it. All of these things that we've talked about here today. But at the end of the day, your best days are not behind you because of the restoration power of Jesus Christ. Your best days are ahead. Just don't quit. Amen? Bow your heads with me all over the room this morning. I wonder in the house today if there's somebody here that would say, you know what, Phil? I needed this today and God's speaking specifically to my heart. I need that restoration. I'm not going to ask you to come forward or anything at this point. I just want you to acknowledge, yes, I need restoring. I need restoring in my life. Raise your hand, please, all over the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are dozens of us. Yes, every one of us. Just put it right back down. It is simply moving toward Jesus. He said, if you come close to me, I'm going to come close to you just as he did Peter that day. He may not fry you some fish, but he'll move into your life and he'll move on you, in you, and through you. And he'll bring about the destiny that he placed in you, regardless of your past or your present failings or even your future failings. And there will be some. Restoration is the order of the day for our God. Father, you see the hands across this room, God. There's so many of us that will acknowledge that even today, God, that we need to be restored. That our past has beat us senseless. Our decisions have just created problems in our life at, at levels that sometimes it's just hard to bear. <clears throat> but God, the truth of the matter is that we, we've all had preventable failures in our life. We've all had unavoidable failures in our life and we've all had intelligent failures. 
And Father, I pray that, that our failures that we're dealing with today, God, regardless of what category they may fall under, that we will acknowledge them. That through our own self-awareness, we recognize, we recognize that it really is on us. We got to own it, God. I'm not going to blame anybody else. We want to learn from it. We, wanna, we remember your promises and we decide and determine that we're not going to quit. And we hold fast to the truth that our failings do not define us if we seek your rest restoration, God. So I pray for everybody that raised their hand in this house today, that you administer to them, that you administer deeply into their hearts and into their lives, God. And God, that you would do your work of restoration in each and every one. We give you praise and we give you glory now in Jesus' name. And we all said amen. Let's say the Lord's Prayer together and then Luke's going to come and, and close us out this morning. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. God bless you, Jenny.